Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. IPAs in general, we, we are not talking complex flavours in, in IPAs. Mm. IPA flavours are... Um, You're going to get emails. <laughs> oh, bring them on. <laughs> Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on the 8th of June 2022. I am Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Brews News, and this week I'm joined by Ian Watson. Good <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want to sound underwhelmed, but I normally have to draw breath to say uh, senior journalist, award-winning journalist Claire uh, uh, Burnett and uh, Sabrina Kunz, but it's just you and I this week. It's a bit of a sausage fest. It is. It is, yes. Yes. Not as much diversity on the program this week. As normal, I'll try to come up with different opinions for you then, Matt. Well, look, no doubt we will be corrected next week uh, for all of our for, for all of our opinions. But it, it's good. It, it, it's actually and look. This takes me back. Last week we talked about Red Oak closing, and for, look, nobody probably needs to know this, but you and I met seventeen years ago when I was commissioned to do a story for the Virgin Inflight magazine about. And I'd pitched it about you when you were working at the Spotted Cow in Toowoomba. And the editors have said, oh, there's a new cafe that's opened up in uh, Sydney called Red Oak. And uh, so your, our, our friendship has uh, lasted as long as Red Oak. It's outlasted Red Oak. Absolutely, Which yeah. is sad. Yeah. Sorry, yes. no. Sad for Red Oak, not for our friendship. But Yes. I hope that's what you mean. It's not sad that you've had a friendship with me for that long. Anyway, no one. Well, I'm sure that in Below the Fold we'll do a little bit of reminiscing. But for now, let's get on and give our listeners the news they can use while they make their brews. Number one, Akasha looks to $2 million for, to fund growth. Akasha Brewing Company officially launched its equity crowdfunding offer last Friday, looking for up to $2 million to fund its expansion plans. At the time of recording, over $1.3 million, and actually I think that's $1.5 if I saw it correctly this afternoon, $1.5 million has already been invested. That's during the uh, expressions of interest phase, and it will be open to the public this week and by the time you're listening to this it will have been done. The funds will go to upgrade its current brew house to 24 hectolitres aiming for production growth to 1.5 million litres annually. If the maximum is raised it will invest in a new brewery and hospitality sites in Victoria and Western Australia. The offer also outlined Akash's Financial information, total revenue for 2021 was $3.9 million. Gross profit reached $1.5 million, but operating expenses meant that the business returned a net loss of $246,000 for 2021. The maximum offer values Akasha at just under $16 million. Claire spoke to Dave Padden, founder of uh, Akasha, to find out more about the raise. And uh, we might go straight to that little uh, insert. Hey Dave, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and congratulations at already reaching, what are we at now, nearly 1.4 million, 1.4 million on your crowdfund? Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, we're about, yeah, uh, somewhere between 1.4, 1.5 million, which is uh, bloody awesome, isn't it? <laughs> That's fantastic. Is that what you were expecting? How has it gone so far? Uh, well, I guess, you know, haven't done it before, so expectations, yeah, I guess we expected it to be relatively popular, but uh, certainly for me personally, it's it's exceeded our, my expectations. Um, we've only been public for not even 24 hours, 
and uh, yeah, close to 1.5 million. It's um, it's pretty uh, pretty cool. Very exciting. And how long left? I think we've got another 15 days. I think yeah. we've got a so, while. <laughs> a, a little way, a little way to go. But uh, obviously, if we, uh, we we've put a maximum of, of two million dollars on the race, so if we get to two million dollars before then, which uh, we hope to do, then uh, that'll be it. Obviously, as you know, Dave, we've talked a lot about um, crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding on the podcast. You know, some of the issues with it, some of the concerns that people have with it. Sure. One of them is that. Um, you know, you, you're making people investors and they're not necessarily having a say in the direction of the business. Sure. How are you counteracting that? How do you deal with that um, as somebody that owns the business? It's a really good question. And um, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Um, but I think what, the way that we've counteracted it is is really being very, very open. And we've always been that way anyway. But being very open about what our strategy is um, before people jump on board so that there's sort of no secrets there. So we've, we've gone, we've spent a lot of time on the offer document itself and, you know, relatively and around the sort of stuff around that to be, to be pretty, pretty particular. Um, and we, we did our, we redid our five year plan or did our new five year plan last year. So we've, we've outlined a lot of that in the document so that people are well aware of what's going to happen over the next five years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, what part of that is, um, obviously your valuation and much more sensible than, lots of others that we've seen uh really liked that you put a table in there as well that was that was quite transparent for me that you sort of compared what you guys are doing in the offer and the valuation of your business compared to um others who've done something similar very much more sensible and I know when we discussed it um last week we were talking about that potentially overestimating a business you might not get that on the open market from private uh, investors. Sure. You were honest about that as well. You know, like you say, it is much more sensible than others. So how did you come to that conclusion? How did you get to that point? Yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a tough one, particularly with a, with growth companies. We, we still consider ourselves, even though we've been around for uh, seven years, we still consider ourselves uh, a bit of a startup and definitely in growth mode. So you're not necessarily showing you know, big profit margins. So, you know, by models of EBITDA is a little bit difficult to, to, to come up with something. So um, we certainly have a look at the market and what other breweries, uh, either on the private market or through raises or different different method, different ways that people have come up with valuations in the past and try to come up with something um, very fair, both fair today based on our results uh, to date, but also fair um, with a bit of view on, you know, where, where we're headed as well. So, um it, it, there's a, a bit of science behind it. We do lean heavily on um, other consultants and people like Equitize who run the raids for us to, to give us a hand with that. But for us to be, you know, to sleep at night and to, to be, you know, we're, we're taking people along the ride for the ride long term. So we want to start off on the right foot and give them something that's very fair. So we're, we're pretty, very happy, in fact, with, with what we've come up with. That's it. And I guess it's a case, as, as we've said on the podcast before, that, you know, it's worth what people are willing to pay for it. If they're happy to pay that and they want to pay sure. for it and they want to be part of that, then what's to stop them? You know, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. We need to be happy with it. That it's a fair valuation. But, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's really important, obviously, that you know, our fans and our, our new investors are, are, are comfortable with that as well. So we're relatively open about it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this will change your structure a little bit in terms of will that dilute your shareholding a fair bit or not too much? Because it's 12.6% isn't it, of the business if 
it's maximum. Yeah, it's 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 about that amount, and it's uh, yeah, it would it will dilute. Um, so we have existing shareholders, and they've been uh, very involved in the process. Um, and yeah, it would dilute our existing shareholders by by around that amount. Um, but we we can show quite easily that with the investment that comes along with it, and you know we can we can project quite a lot of growth um, with that investment. So. Um, you know, it's 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 a good payoff. I think um, uh, over time um, that loss in, uh, in bio dilution will actually be made up in growth pretty quickly. So um, our shareholders, again, as I said, have been along for the ride and are, are very comfortable. Having investors already, because I know there's a few businesses that have gone into equity crowdfunding without having had investors before. Has that helped you out a little bit? Like you know how to communicate with investors and things like that? Or was it very much like a, oh, friends and family, so they know that we're doing all right kind of thing? <laughs> we, 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 we run a pretty tight ship in terms of our investors. So we do have, uh, we've got a total of seven investors already. And we, and we, we treat them, um, while some of them are friends and family and, and really, we were really lucky to have a few employees as, as shareholders as well before this raise. So, um, you know, we, we do have, you know, annual shareholder meetings and we do run, uh, run it quite seriously. Um, and, you know, regular communication with those guys. Having said that, moving from seven investors to potentially, you know, um, between 500 and 1,000 investors um, it's a leap. Is, <laughs> is a little bit of a leap. So um, we've uh, our uh, Lauren, our, our marketing director, is is spending has spent a lot of time developing, um, I guess, a more enhanced communication program. It's really important that we we bring you know all of our new investors along for the ride and stay in regular communication, get them involved. That that's why they're getting. They're investing. They want to be involved. They want to get closer to it. So we're really making sure that, um, yeah, as I said, we bring them along for the ride and um, in regular communication with them to let them know what's happening. Very cool. And I mean, this is part of, like you say, your five-year plan. So you've already done that sort of groundwork on what you're going to be doing um, in terms of growth and development of the business. But how have you found this process, the equity crowdfunding process, as like a separate issue to that? It sounds like it's quite an involved one. You need to have a lot of... Uh, processes going on in the background and things like that. How how has it been? How have you found it? Yeah, it's a lot of work. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. And we wanted to do it properly. So we wanted to spend, we, there's been a lot of, we haven't sort of jumped into it. We spent a lot of time uh, towards the end of last year and beginning of this year looking at our options. We, we had our five-year plan. It involved a lot of growth um, and therefore involved a lot of investment. So we looked at all the different ways of, of funding that. Um, everything from debt to you know, private equity to crowdfunding. So we landed on crowd crowdfunding for a few reasons. We um, we wanted to also give we've, we've we've developed a big fan base over the last seven years, and we wanted to get those guys and they, and those fans really love to get involved. And we often get asked, how can we get involved closer to you? How can we invest? All that kind of thing. So um, it really was good timing for us. Um, and so we spent a lot of time in the last few months making sure that our plan was very tight we can and making sure as i said earlier we we communicated that plan to our potential shareholders um so it's a lot of work mm-hmm. um it's a little bit scary as well yeah. it's something new it's something obviously i haven't done before um but it's been it's been great as long i think it's like anything as long as you take it very seriously put the required time into it um the equitize um platform and the team there have been absolutely amazing in walking us through 
very early on about what the process is, getting us familiar with that so that um, there weren't any surprises along the way. So a lot of hard work, but been really, uh, been really happy with it as well. Fantastic. And I mean, lots of other brewers will probably be looking at Akasha and lots of other people that have done um, equity crowdfunding and thinking, you know, is that something for me? Could that be good for my growth and the development of my business so what would you recommend sure. to them would you tell them like don't do it or would you say be prepared or <laughs> <laughs> what would you what would you go with yeah well, look it, i'd really hesitate to say it's right for everybody i think you need to have a good look at your business and make sure that um you know one you have very very strong vision of where you want to take your business um you i certainly would never recommend anybody to re- be, don't raise money for the sake of raising money um, raise money because you have a strong plan and you need investment to reach those goals. So that's exactly why we got into it. I think having a strong plan is is, is crucial and being able to communicate that plan with, with everybody from your own team, your existing investors, and probably most importantly to your to your new investors. So um, if you are in that growth mode and, and it is it is a great way of, as I said, raising money, but also bringing, um, bringing a whole bunch of your, what we call our super fans along for the ride and, um, and ensuring that there's a strong, um, communication plan to to make sure that they really are along for the ride and um, yeah so it'll get to not for everybody but would I recommend if, if you sort of tick all those boxes absolutely it's been great so far for us fantastic oh well thank you so much Dave for coming on the podcast and having a chat with me always really My interested pleasure. to follow what, what you guys are up to um, so yeah keep in touch and uh, we will follow you along and, and see when you get to that two million yeah looking forward to it thanks Clay. thanks for having me there we go. Uh, no, no doubt we'll talk a little bit about that in Below the Fold. Also, Line extends paid leave provisions. Brewer Line has announced new types of paid leave options available to its employees. Line's families policy will now include 12 weeks of paid leave for those who experience the loss of a child by stillbirth and 10 days of paid leave for women who suffer miscarriage. An additional three days of bereavement leave will be offered to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, Maori and Pacifica team members. Lion also announced on LinkedIn that it would be introducing a policy which meant that employees could work from anywhere in the world for 30 days a year. Uh, Private label brands or are they just another competitor? In this topical article, Claire spoke to Associate Professor Rob Nichols from the University of New South Wales. He's a competition expert about the growth of private label brands from retailers such as Endeavour Group, owner of BWS and Dan Murphy's. This follows the news that Endeavour Pinnacle Drinks Arm was worth $1.3 billion. So that sales of Pinnacle Drinks was worth $1.3 billion in revenues in the year to date. In the article, they discuss the potential issues arising from vertical integration and what is considered healthy competition by the ACCC, as well as how innovation is protected in other industries. That is the news of, of the week. Uh, very, very quick. As I said, we're going to skim through some things a little bit today, and who knows where the conversation will go afterwards with Ian and I. But on that, if you need to get back to the brew deck or to your sales calls, you can, and uh If not, you can join us below the fold. Equity crowdfunding, you've heard me. I know you're an avid listener when you're not actually a a guest on the show. Uh, Thoughts on equity crowdfunding? There is is so much to it. It is something that many breweries have done. Uh, Breweries that I've worked for um, have been very successful in raising money that way. Um, I myself have some concerns um, uh, around it from of view of the businesses and then ones that you've raised um, the point of views of the investors and making sure that everyone fully is aware of what they are getting into with that and like with with regards to the ongoing market for those shares and their their ability to um, to be liquid 
Um, and then, too, from the brewery's point of view in, in administration of that and dealing with so many new shareholders, but I'm sure that's things that every one of those businesses going into that has hopefully put a lot of thought into. Um, but it is a way of um, raising money um, that... Like, if you go to the bank, you do have payment terms that are on from after there. And so you really need any potential that you are going to be able to build your business with that almost has to be able to be raised straight away, realised straight away, mm. or your current business has to be able to deal with the terms of that until you get back up into that position again, which is just not that simple. It's not the way the world works, and I'm pretty sure everyone can can realise that. Uh, getting Finding um, a couple of key investors to do raises that, that size can be difficult, um, whereas yeah, equity crowdfunding is a way that, you know, Potentially, you can realise that, and then as as you've said, and and uh, as the other host of the program said many times, it's a way to engage with those um, um, with those investors and with your with community and bring them as part of your community. Um, so I think I'm probably just already saying what you guys yeah, already well, it, said it, many it, times. It, yeah, and I, I don't want to go. It, it's very exciting for Kasha. You know, again, yeah. like it, it, talking about equity found crowdfunding. Generally, you don't want to single any brewery out with you know tar anyone with the 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 the, the brush because it's a really valuable way for businesses capital for growth is the hardest thing for small businesses like breweries to to achieve outside of bank or you know mortgaging your house and 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 all of the risk that, that that comes with and you know if there are people who are willing to invest in your business fantastic as as i've said over and over again my concern is calling it an investment because there aren't too many being advertised at the moment, but there are a lot of breweries that are being listed for sale at the moment very privately. There's a lot of uh, agents that are sort of stumping breweries that will never realise anything close to the valuations that equity crowdfunding businesses are asking for um, for you know, as their value. And that value is only if it's going to be acquired in a you know highly desirable takeover yeah i think i think you're right i agree on those values i struggle with those myself at times but that is you know in some ways maybe that's my own realization struggle that um i see what you could invest to build what you could build for what the entire valuation is now that doesn't take into account goodwill of a business but then when yep. you look at what the um, potential earnings are of the business what the potential growth of the business is i wonder whether that really goodwill mm. if you want to call it that um that adds on to that the valuation, whether that really is that high, I, I cannot see how that could could be for the majority of them. I, j- I just don't see the value in that. Yep. But again, for a brand like I would invest in Akasha because I love the brand and I love Dave Padden and I love what they're doing and to see that. But it's not an investment. And also I resent the, not not in Akasha's case, but in terms of the, do you see in every equity crowdfunding, you know, they have that expressions of interest that they oh you know you're going to run out we've got 1300 people that are going to do, you're going to miss out you're going to miss out before anyone can actually viably cast a ruler over the um over the business um and you know they don't give you the financials they don't give you the the, the business stuff until they've sort of got you you know if, if, if i don't invest as soon as it opens i'm going to miss out and yeah. that's i mean i great marketing you know, really effective sales technique in the same way as one of those weekends where we'll give you a free weekend at this, you know, 
exotic location, but you have to spend two hours in a seminar room with your significant other to you know make the purchasing decision while we listen to you know give you the high pro- high, high pressure uh, you know sales, sales pitch, pitch on, yep. on on your uh, timeshare. Um, yeah, it it that that definitely is the case with it, but I think that's something that you know these are all adults that are investing in that, um, and it's a free. That's true. Uh, it's a free will. They have that right to make that decision there. Um, and if that's what they, they want to do, um, we'll see whether there is any washout from it in years to come. Some of these, it's going to be absolutely fantastic and then people are going to be like, well, I'm really glad I clicked that 10 grand in. I'm really happy with how things are going. There are people that are going to be ecstatic because someone, there is going to be a realisation mm. for some and they're going to go, wow, I doubled my money. <laughs> well, just look with the number ones happening, you know, the, the odds are that something has to work for someone. Um, and But the only one that I can think of that has been purchased and anyone's made money on uh, uh, Brewdog, I think some of the early investors who were able to cash out in the trading window after the private equity might have made some money. And then um, Camden had done a very small private equity uh, 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 yeah, equity raise just before they were fully acquired. And I think those shareholders made some money, but I can't think of too many others that have made money. In, a, in an equity crowdfund mm. way. No, but with the number ones going on, it, it has to happen. You know, well, it's possible. It's, yes. It's possible. Um, but, you know, it's grown-ups, grown-ups can do what grown-ups do. Um, well, then why do we have laws? Okay, th- that being the case, why do we have investment laws and why do we have, uh, you know, because th- th- there are laws around uh, equity crowdfunding. What, you know, there, there are, you know there, there, there's a whole lot of legislation designed to protect people from themselves as adults, you know. It's how far do we go with that? And yeah, well, maybe we could go further. Um, not saying we should, we, I'm, but I'm just yeah. We we have laws to to protect the basics there, but we can't um, we can't override people's just willingness yeah. or whatever. You know, it's um, that, that's 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 up for that's up for everyone's um, own position, and it's a genuine way to 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 raise funds and like two million dollars. I don't know. I haven't looked in to see what. Akasha has then put yep. that as the entire valuation of the business. $2 million is not – well, it's a pretty decent raise, but um, we're not talking that they're coming out here and asking for $35 million no. or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> and to counter my own argument, I have not ever spoken to a person who said I invested in it thinking I was going to make a return. I think it's one of those little things that sort of sits on your shoulder whispering in your ear, but most of the people just love the industry and they love the brand and they want to be part of it. Yep. And uh, to my way of thinking, if that's why people are doing it, it's completely valid. And, 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 and why sell it as an investment? Why do the rest of it? Well, because probably that's the way it is. Ter- well, it, it, it is, is marketing. <laughs> but also you are the owner of something and everything you own is an investment. You know, um, um, a record that I buy from a shop is an investment. Um, yes, it's not an investment for, for a return if you're looking at it that way. But anytime you, you transact on something, you are investing in that. But you buy the record because you get pleasure from it and, 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 that's and you my, buy that's it. My it it's not like the summer of cabbage patch doll shortages to go back a few years. Yeah, you know, 40 years, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but you, you know that, that, that artificial shortage that's designed to get everyone into the shops now. Anyway, we've talked enough about equity crowdfunding, but all, all the best to Akasha. And also looking forward to seeing Bridge Roads, which is the other one that's uh, coming out. They've got um, – they'll be going public with theirs fairly soon, I'd imagine. Um, I think – Midway through next week. Have they announced anything about the um, size of investment they're looking for in that? Two and a half. Okay. Yep. So yep. similar size. So yeah. So I don't know what the valuation is. So it'll be I interesting d- to see. I and dare it, say, going by that numbers, Akasha are going to get 
across the line to their full. full it looks like they're, they're going to get the full two million dollars. Yeah, yep. um, and you'd think that Bridge Road again, another much loved story. Uh, highly credible brand. I would assume that will hit, that will hit the mark there too. Um, they've had a fantastic um, database over the years in their club, um, so I'd be I'd be very shocked if they didn't didn't get what they need from that one. Um, Lion extends paid leave provisions. Now, none of the categories that Lions extended apply to you, but you've probably heard us talking about. Whilst a lot of small brewers look at the competitive pressure that the big brewers put on, you know, for taps and shelf space. The employer of choice thing is becoming increasingly um, important um, in, yeah, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, when you've got such a big skills shortage as we do have, uh, it's hard to get um, experienced brewing staff. Um, it's very hard to get in, uh, experienced brewing staff. So making sure that all the conditions and the treatment um, uh, is is a very important thing. It's great to see the likes of Lion uh, doing this. It puts pressure on the rest of us to do that which I don't look at that as being a bad thing I think that's a that's a fantastic thing because that's what we should all be um, doing the number one tool in your brewery is the people that are making the beer staff and so you've got to look after you've got to look after them and there are so many reasons um, so many reasons for doing that as, as it should be in every business of all all types look after your staff because the amount of time that it takes to get someone up to speed you could get a brilliant brewer walk in the door but it costs you money in getting them up to speed doesn't matter how good they've made beer anywhere else they haven't made it in your brewery yet so you lose so much money and time in building them up to speed so you're better off to invest that back into retaining them and of and course it's not just, just brewers, it's your, your sales force your accounting uh, department your marketing team every, all every, of those yeah every, everyone and also just um from my own personal point of view think that that's our own um every business's social responsibility is to look after the welfare of those that are that are working for it, um, and so it's if you are looking after the welfare of those that are um, working for you, they'll be looking after the business's welfare too, mm. and and they'll be doing what they need to do, and then you won't you won't have such high turnover and and so forth. And yes, um, I th- I think they're absolutely fantastic moves. How um how are you finding? Because you've worked for a number of breweries. How are you finding the the you know. The, the, the staff shortage, how hard is it to get skilled brewers and are you seeing you know, brewers probably progressing faster than their experience? You know? Yeah, it is, it's really, really, really difficult um, at the moment. Everyone knows that, everyone talking about it. Um, things are gradually moving away towards um, better conditions and better pay for um, staff across the brewing industry because I do think that the, um, the level of... of um, of salary being offered hasn't really reflected uh, reflected the shortage that we're having in the industry, and it seems that a lot of people are in denial about it and still want to pay very low wages, but complain about the fact that they can't get staff. Mm. It's like, well, you just got to, or they're constantly losing staff. They're, you're constantly, they're constantly losing having staff. staff. That's right. Poached. Yeah, that's that's right. So you've got to do everything you can. Um, so in both my last role and my current role, uh, I've put a lot of focus into trying to build um, staff. Um, matrixes for helping people um, move up through the ranks um, at, at a proper pace, not pushing anyone through. And sometimes you get staff that are, are brilliant and wonderful and they've got um, dreams ahead of themselves as they want to do this. And it's like, yes, you're going to be really good when you get to that level. You know, mm. you've know, you got the makings of a brilliant brewer. Let's slow down and let's make sure you do those steps properly so that when those moments come, you're really ready for it and then you can make the step to the next level um, on from there. But making sure that people are trained, making sure that people are engaged and are loving um, their job still and that their job is not a chore and that they can find that line between when they're at work and when they're at home 
um, and uh, letting them know that when knockoff time comes, it's knockoff time. You can go home, mm. um, and that if there is a there is issues and you can't fix those issues because they're beyond what you have the ability to fix, it's not your problem. It's not your problem. It's someone else's problem. You know. And so that stuff's like, don't you worry about that. That's my job. That's my problem. You you do your job. And then you point out that issue to me, and then it's my job to worry about it. And then if I can't fix it, it's the you know because it's beyond what my position is. It's the next person up the line's job to look out for look out for that. And look, I, I, you know, at Bruce News, I, I, I can say it without risk of being gainsaid immediately. But maybe my staff will. Uh, <laughs> might be a mailbag <laughs> left. <laughs> so there, there might be a mailbag left. But that, that's basically what we do. Like you know, we um, work and at clock off time. You know, you, you can never fully clock off because you've always particularly in what we do because there's a lot of social media and things that sort of uh, spring but by and large it's you knock off and you you, you leave it behind because it's the, the the whole life that you have to be living this is just part of it an expression i've used um over the last couple of years is that the industry has um in in many ways at many times been built on the blood of brewers which sounds pretty brutal but it's absolutely oh, true passion it's um, an industry that you know Mind's passion as a as an exhaustible resource. Yeah, yeah, and that that comes like the, the days I've I've done them over my career. I've done um, you know many years in a row, four years in a row of seventy plus hour weeks, um, mm. where every week I did seventy plus hours for four years in a row. I worked every day of the year um, pretty well for four years. Um, I've done hundred hour plus weeks and so forth. And I'm not saying this, you know, bring out the world's smallest violin, but that was and, and not, it's not sort of being that sort of bravado. It was. Toxic, just yeah. kind of what you felt had to be done and it kind of did have to be done. Um, and I wasn't alone in that. There is, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds of brewers listening to that that are going, yep, been through, done that. That time has got to end. That time has got to end. If we've got a skill shortage, that time has ended now. Mm. That does not happen anymore. We do not have people working that way. Jeez, I sound like I'm about to try to start a union or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> no, we're not going but, to. But, but it is part of in um, a business in making sure that you can keep employees is to make sure that that situation doesn't arrive. And it's everyone who's a supervisor to someone else's responsibility to make sure that those that you are a supervisor to don't have that situation because that's when you'll get people leave your business and go to somewhere else that's maybe only offering marginally more. But hey, it's just anything to, mm. to, um, to, to get out. So we've got to do everything we can to make sure people are comfy and know that they are part of the family of, of that business. Um, and things like this um, are absolutely what we should all be aspiring to have in all of our, all of our businesses. Just in terms of your career progression, because it, as I said at the start of the show, we met, you were Australia's first beer sommelier working at the Spotted Cow that you'd come to from a background as a plumber um, and I think you just have hung around or you'd, you'd spent enough time in the bottle shop that they realised that you knew more about beer than they did and that you were more effective at selling um, than they did. So you sort of kind of got this job at, at, at the Spotted Cow in Toowoomba in sales and then developing their food menu. Is, is that right? But you were yeah, an avid home I've, brewer at that stage. Yeah, I, I had been home brewer for quite a while um, and um, it actually the cow weren't my first people to pay me okay. either. Um, uh, I was actually doing some work for some beer companies like, but doing exactly yep. that, they're sending me to events and so forth yep. um, to, to go and speak on their behalf because they realised I knew more than their, their reps did um, that it wasn't just annoying and yeah mine was, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd categorise it that way my, my, mine was that um, I probably was really annoying to reps you know and, and asking them to get me stuff and that they didn't even know existed in their portfolios um, but yeah mine was a slow path up through there and it was a really nice um, way to slowly 
move up through there and then learn about all aspects of the industry and businesses and so forth. But you went from home brewing, and from memory, your first commercial job was working at the Sunshine Coast Brewery, which yep. is... I was a, working there at the same time as the Spotted Cow. Yeah, yeah, and, and you were going up there and helping, but you didn't have a senior brewer that you were, that was no. training you to do the ropes. Um, so you, you learned a lot on the job you know, in terms I'd, of all I'd of spent those. I spent a fair bit of time around in and around other people's breweries okay. and so picking up from there. And then when I stepped into that role there... Um, there wasn't the pressure on because it was a smaller brewery. The industry was a lot smaller um, too. Um, so it was an easy, gentle um, step into it in a way. And then I had help from friends that were, um, you know, I had, uh, I suppose I were talking about him earlier, Dave Holyoke, yep. um, uh, uh, Brad Rogers, you know, they were, they were friends and they were, you know, I could call up the phone and say, hey, Brad, this is happening. What am I doing wrong? You know, what's, yep. and, you know, or, or Dave, you know, uh, uh, what do you think I should do, X Y Z around this? And no, they were happy to help mm. me help help me out. Um, and it was a gentle, slow, slow curve up. I didn't just suddenly start jumping in and, and managing breweries worth, uh, you know, making millions of liters of, of beer a year. Because when I, I I listened to brewers talk, and you know, the home brewing, you know, the, the idea of home brewing um, and the, the basics of brewing is one thing, but then. There's the scheduling, the you know the logistics. There's you know all of those things that you need in a lot of ways an experienced guide to train you in in, in all of those areas. Um, it, it's very hard for a young brewer who maybe sort of takes a head brewer's role in a small regional brewery to. Yeah, you can't. You you. There is nothing. Um, yeah, nothing prepares you in that for that except for slowly learning over time and watching other people do it. Um, mine was mainly through um, having a, well, I won't say force, that's a bit wrong, but <laughs> just having a put onto me, there was no other choice. Um, and luckily, um, the industry was a lot slower back then than it is now. And so we're gradually able to build up um, those skills over time. And nowadays, I don't brew at work. Um, I've well, since I've been at Ballistic, I've made two batches of beer on a pilot system um, out at Springfield. But apart from that... Um, I could have got someone else to do that. I just wanted to be able to do that. Remember that that I am a brewer, um, but the rest of my time spent in front of a computer doing all all that other side of 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 the business. Um, so that could be a shock. You know, you you think you've been a great home brewer for years. You've gone and studied. Um, you've maybe done taste. So you've done the vocational side and actually got a little bit of hands on time through work experience. Um, if you then jump into a head brewer's role, no matter how small it is, because the um, brewery is because of the way how quickly the industry's moved now, that would be a step that. Um, could be quite difficult because that inventory management, that scheduling and planning and um, being able to forecast things out is just something that um, I don't believe is currently taught and it's probably pretty difficult to talk. You really just have to get the, the skills up watching others do it to do yeah. it. And it's there's also less margin for error because there's so much more competition these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, there was never a lot of demand for craft beer 15, 20 years ago, but it was enough of a novelty and there were few enough people doing it that, it was probably, you know, people were seeking out the beers to some extent, much more than... I, I think the pressure was a lot lighter back then, so um, I don't particularly remember any big mistakes being made, but that was mainly because the pressure wasn't on, whereas now that could happen just because I think the pressure is on everywhere and everyone expects you to have a professional front mm-hmm. and to get them the beer when you say you're going to get them the, the beer. And then how to deal with that if you can't. It seems like a very benign topic, but I know we're going to get lots of uh, comments about uh, about this one. And uh, that, that one 
came out of uh, talking about lion extending leaf provisions. Look after your employees, everyone. This is one that may be a little bit uh, contentious. Um, private label brands, are they just another competitor? On one hand, you know, it was great for such a long time. The, the beers that you couldn't get into, you know, uh, huge parts of the country because small bottle shops just weren't interested. The Dan Murphy's became the place you could go and get good beer. And we've suddenly seen, as they do with baked beans, as they do with breakfast cereal, we're suddenly seeing the, the big retailers' own brands start to replace some of the small independent craft brewers in segments that have have been proven. And it's, uh, you know, it, it was a really interesting article to read um, that, that Claire developed hearing what we think is competition isn't necessarily the competition that's being protected. You know, the, the, the way that it was described, they don't protect competitors, they protect competition. And if consumers are getting a cheaper product, by and large, the ACCC says that's what we're here for. They don't look at any of the, the non-monetary losses that you experience, you know, in terms of innovation you know it's the small um, brewers who are often willing to innovate and prove and do the market research to find the next thing that somebody else can just come in and take the cream from yes exactly uh so this is something i think we we kind of touched on the other week when i was when i was on um and something my brother warned me about um and spoke with me about uh many times from his um position in the pharmaceuticals industry that this is exactly what what happens there is no law uh, against it and in many ways there is nothing wrong with it there's just vertical integration on behalf of those stores do i personally like it not really um because exactly as you said this is not um a straight up competitor mm. um it is and it isn't um because they have they have the control of that outlet um, that outlet point. Uh, it's also not straight up clear that that is what these products are. You used to get it in um, supermarket products where it's clearly labelled. It was home brand or no frills or yep. whatever. We the don't black have and gold, yeah. black and gold. Yeah, no we one's don't have buy that. black and gold beer. Or I think I'd go. On. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> okay. I think that'd be kind of cool in some ways. I, I think that was cooler rather than um, a the marketing blurbs that are on there and. Um, you know, yeah, I, I I don't like that. To me, that that does feel um, f- feels a little insulting mm. um, to the businesses that are developed to do that, and to insulting to the consumer that they're um, making feel as though they're buying something from a another business rather than buying from their business. And if Woolworths IPA was a bloody great IPA, and it was brand brand of Woolworths IPA or Coles IPA or Aldi IPA, great. The beer industry is one of those industries that you know I care passionately about. I don't care so much about butter. I don't care so much about other things. And you know that the Aldi model is to get whoever makes their thing. They, they get high-quality um, versions, by and large. Um, and it, the, the, the Trader Joe's, I think, uh, there's a really good book called Wine Wars that looks at the Trader Joe's um, thing where they just get wine made for them but it's wine that if it was branded would be significantly more expensive because of the cachet and you you can argue to some extent that consumers are benefiting from that but I guess there is that whole ecosystem of R&D and development and the big retailers have such an unfair advantage in the way because they have data that isn't available you know to anybody else um, that because of their size and their scale. So when they go into markets, 
they are able to unfairly compete against the competitors, but it seems to benefit the consumers to some extent. Well, yeah, that's true. Look, if the consumer is getting a great product at a good price, that's that's awesome. But if the consumer, you but know, at what cost? Yes, <laughs> if, if the consumer, well, there's two levels there to that. You can see the consumer if the consumer is wanting to know who owns that product there, or, and if they feel that they're buying from uh, an independent craft brewery, and it's actually not, it's owned by that company, but they feel it's being portrayed to them in a way that it is, that's that's not great. And um, Whereas if it was branded as their home brand product, and it was cheap, and it was good, what's wrong with that? I don't mm. see any issue with that. But when it's trying to be something, when it's portraying itself as something that it really isn't, um, then I personally, myself, take... Um, take a little bit of an issue with that. Mm. Um, then, yes, there is a side of R&D and so forth there that um, all they're doing is copying something yep. something else and um, not building anything new for the future. Um, Maybe that's just my sense of fairness and not real world. Well, <laughs> real then, life, then, then know, we see like that then they'll have, to, they'll have to be cycles in that as well then because um, someone will come up with something else that's and then they'll have to drop some of their other brands back and then they'll get this uh, new brewery's products on the shelf and someone else that's doing similar and someone else and then they'll they'll gradually push those out as they put their clones on there. So mm. I suppose there'll be cycles um, cycles in it. Yep. Um, and But we just have to realise it is a competitor and that's it. And when, you, um, yeah, when, 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 when a brand can exist without a brewery, that's, it's absolutely fair play. Absolutely. I want to pick up on, on, on your thing that the, the branding, like if it was black and gold and, you know, if you had a brand and thought, hey, that black and gold idea that you know, uh, Matt and Ian were talking about is a really, really good idea. I want to put a black and gold can out. Can you think of where I could get a black and gold can from? I, th- I think I can, Matt. I think that might be on um, Evans Road in, in Salisbury. That would be Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging. Place, That's yes. the place, yes. Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging can give you black and gold cans. They can give you anything in a shrink-wrapped form and they'll deliver it to you. You don't need a shrink-sleeving machine because they've got that. You just have to give them a design and they'll do the rest for you. They And not only labels for your cans or bottles, but the team can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes. You know what they can do. Just give them a call and find out how well and how quickly and how cheaply they can do it. And that number, to give them a call, is one three hundred eight five two two three five. 855 to discuss further. And as always, you can find that link in the show notes. You know that if you've got cans from Rallings, you can probably fill them using a canning machine from Scar Fabricating. Because support for this episode comes from Scar Fabricating. They build reliable, automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams, just like you. If you are a brewer, and you probably are if you're listening to us, and you're looking for the best way to get your product out of your tap room and into the hands of your customers, Scarfab has you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, or depal in uh, your line of work, Ian? Yep, that's one. Depal. Custom conveyance, date coding, rinsing and drying systems, and more. Scarfab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's S-K-A-Fabricating.com to get started. But you don't need to know the spelling because just look down in the show notes and also in the Brews News Business Directory. Um, Now, Ian, we don't really have a mailbag, as I said. Um, So New Zealand Ale Trail is just going to get an ad read because they're not bringing us the mailbag. 
Um, next week we'll have a mailbag because someone will write to us. But www.newzealandaletrail.com or at nzaletrail on social media, you'll find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. Um, given that we do have a little bit of time, one of the things I, I, I interviewed you about was beer and food. And we, we've talked about this off mic quite a few times that when we were first, you know, um, getting started running good beer lunches um, in, in, in the very, very early days um, of, of craft beer, um, we spent a lot of time talking about the future of craft beer was going to be, it's not just going to be schooner glasses, overfilled, pouring on tables, sticky bars, we we're going to look at glassware, we we're going to look at service, we we're going to look at beer and food matching, we we're going to look at the culture around beer, and that was going to change. And in terms of the way that the future worked out, it's kind we're of... wrong. Yeah, we, we, were <laughs> wrong. we could not have been more wrong. It went that way for a while, and then it changed. And yeah, and, and, and we've seen massive evolution of styles, but the culture around the service is arguably worse than it was, or it yeah. certainly hasn't progressed. I, I think that the heights that we had back then were um, a lot higher than the heights that we have now. Um, yeah, I, I'm very disappointed in that side, but we certainly couldn't have predicted the amount of styles that would have evolved in that time. No. I might have predicted a couple. Well, Pacific Ale, you know, we, we came after, you know, like we, we never predicted a Pacific Ale, you know, when we were doing the very early days. Everyone launched with an American style pale ale, and it was, you know, like, and and went bigger, and but it was going to be glassware, um, you know, and service glassware and knowledge. And good service, yep, absolutely, yeah, knowledgeable staff. But um, um, I'd like to think that we're going to see some changes um, in that. Uh, I'd like to. I, I haven't done as much with beer and food in recent years. That hasn't been um, uh, in my role, but I'd certainly love to um, to get very heavily involved in in that again because I'm still very passionate about. It. I still. Um, uh, uh, cook um, every night. Well, I suppose everyone does that. You could feed yourself, but no, I still, I still put uh, effort into to meals and then to matching it around um, what I'm what I'm drinking every every week. Mm. Um, and I'd like to think that others might start to move along those ways, and we can start to see things like that happening again. So on that, Ian, I'm going to read out an email because we do. It turns out we do have a mailbag. I'm not sure why it didn't uh, land in the mailbag unless it was a week that I wasn't here and I didn't hear it. Um, it was two weeks ago. Um, Dr. Typhus, Byron, sorry, is his email. Um, Ahoy, Brews News crew. I was listening to the BIAC, beer is a conversation about Madoc uh, Brew Company. Sounds like a great place and instantly a great friend of mine uh, I won't name, got uh, me onto them independently of the show. He loves their beer. Just wanted to clear something up. I'm a massive IPA fan, so I felt I'm putting my cape on for hops. Matt said hops don't go well with food, but I would like to suggest otherwise. As we know, hops carry certain characteristics like herbaceous, tropical, resinous and citrus that certain foods go well with when they complement the flavour. And in the case of an IPA, this can be surprising. Belgian beers and others can certainly cross over depending on the dish, so I'll come down to personal pre- so it'll come down to personal preference. A few examples of foods that pair well with an IPA. Uh, a green curry or an Indian goan go curry, Mexican food with a citrus tang of lime added, fatty foods like pizzas and burgers, desserts like carrot cake or something with mango in it, salad with a citrus dressing and blue cheese. Multi-double IPAs with their sweet alcoholic flavours will scrub the fattiness from food so it's good with ribs and chicken wings. The only thing to watch is for bitterness and alcohol in beer versus chilli component in the dish as the cap- capsaicin will be enhanced by these factors in the beer and potentially make it unpalatable. Um, so I'm going to say, look, I agree with a lot of that generally, 
um, and particularly the, um, the the bitterness and capsaicin. That's so, right. Yeah, that's when he when he mentioned the um, the the Indian curry. They go and I, I I disagree on that front there with a the hoppy beer there, um, but certainly like Mexican food or the Tex Mex um, mm. style food or um, New Orleans American steak. Fantastic with uh, with like American pale ales or or, or hoppy yep. um, IPAs there, particularly when you get that pine and citrus thing going, and you know it could go uh, like, like things like jambalaya and that go really well with it. You know, like yeah, um, tacos, Mexican food, great alongside there. Um, some Thai dishes um, can work really good too because you've got really vibrant, bright flavors, mm. um, particularly the like classic American hop type. Flavors are really, really, really vibrant. Um, I heard someone once described it as like playing a banjo. You know, they're really sharp, bright. Um, yes, uh, uh, sounds that um, uh, uh, re- relate to relate to the way that the, the, the those those flavors flavors are. And yeah, absolutely, they agree. I agree. And, and I think the point that I was making uh, about hops is that hops, being such a dominant flavor, can tend to override a lot of things, whereas the classic food matches that I love, and we were talking about one off mic about the red oak wee heavy ale and blue cheese, which you introduced me to, and it was something where the two and two equals seven. Um, you know, you add those two, and there is just a sublime elegance where they complement, but then they elevate and it raises. And I just personally um, find that too often hops, particularly the bitterness in hops just dominates um, and even with the blue cheese sometimes the bitterness ends up standing proud over the malt so a good IPA the malt I think is 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 the thing that provides a match and the bitterness doesn't necessarily work terribly well but the bitterness can be great I think as I said there alongside um, fats and so mm. forth it really is yep. uh, provides a cleansing feel to the mouth there which some of the drinks uh, can't do um, but bitterness and hops can be an overrider um, at times, and it's like everything in every match and in every every beverage or in every meal. It's all about how mm. how things are, uh, are, are balanced um, in in there. Um, I I do have a soft spot um, for a lot of beers that aren't traditionally thought of as being hoppy. Um, you know, my love is Belgian beer, but Belgian, yeah, it's actually hoppy. Yeah, you know, that's a mistake people often make. Think Belgian beer is not hoppy. Belgian beer can be incredibly hoppy. Doofel is. Pretty bloody hoppy, mm. but um, uh, uh, that's not Cascade and Citra. Um, it's um, oh, what's in there? Sars and Goldings. I but think it also has a malt body to like. That's the thing. You know, and I think Duval and Turkey is one of my all time. You know that gaminess of a turkey, and then the Duval just works really well. In fact, I think I've even brined um, uh, a turkey in three months. Um, or, right, okay. Uh, yep. or, um, was it three months or was it? Because uh, it's another very hoppy. Um, it's almost a Belgian IPA, but it's from France. But it's from oh, sorry, uh, yeah, <laughs> French, uh, French IPA. Like it's uh, the the Flanders IPA because um, it's it's so hoppy. Um, There's a beer that um uh, was available in Australia for a while, um, and that I've been speaking to a friend of mine who's a um, Belgian beer importer and trying to get him to get here is Popperinga Hommel beer, mm-hmm. and now that's a very hoppy okay. beer. But once again, it's not in your new world um, style hops. It's just from things to go around Popper Inja. And I think that's what I was really making the point is that, particularly speaking to Maddock, is the new world hop styles that it was about bitterness and about, you know, some of the, I won't say one dimensional because I'll get more emails, but it, it, it doesn't quite have the elegance of, you know, that they'll go 
together, but not with the elegance that some of the classic styles do. Well, and, and look, one-dimensional is not necessarily a bad term, mm. um, and it's not necessarily an in, uh, insult either. Um, IPAs, in general, we, we are not talking complex flavours in, in IPAs. Mm. IPA flavours are... Um, You're going to get emails. <laughs> bring them on. Um, this is not an insult. This is what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like some of the music. I, I have a wide-ranging taste in in music. Some of the music I like is quite bloody one-dimensional, mm. but that doesn't mean but it's, it's any punchy. less good. That is what it it is, Punk. and that's that's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that is what it is, and that's part of it. There, an imperial stout. Uh, a friend of mine once described them as big dumb flavors, and uh, he got some blowback from that. It's like, no, absolutely they are. They're big, dumb flavours. But that is what makes them what they are and what makes them beautiful in their own way. We don't have to have um, depth and complexity in everything to make it all good. Mm. Um, and we don't have to have things so complex that they're no longer complex, they're complicated, um, which then you're better off having something that is one-dimensional then because then you can see what it is and you can spell out all those things there. Pilsner. Pilsners are, um, you know, very simple beers in their flavour profile and that's elegance that's mm. that's wonderful look at a great um uh, riesling um is is simple elegance it's not about being mm. complicated um and that's that's absolutely fine and all those things are all fine in their own own ways and uh, and oh god i'll get myself in trouble here and yet you need a sophistication to appreciate the simpleness of a pilsner is is, is something i'd say like it's pilsner is one of those beer styles i think it's too challenging for people that just want an Australian lager. They just want refreshment, but not challenging enough for people who want, um, you know, for, for, for beer geeks who want that big, loud, brash craft beer flavour. It's got a lot going on, but it's elegant in, in, in a pilsner. It's yeah, subtle, subtle mm. and elegant, and that's absolutely right. It's like if we look at it... Which is why Riesling was derided for so long, um, it, it had been bastardised as well to some extent. Yeah, uh, very much so. But a wine style that um, uh, I um, shunned and turned my nose up at for a long time was Moscato um, until I was given a top-line Moscato and I had it for breakfast on Christmas morning with bacon and eggs and it was um, absolutely fantastic. And I was like, right, wow, um, this is not what I would have picked to pair with bacon and eggs as the, the, the wine to, to have. Um, and I got to see from a really good Moscato how um, wonderful and elegant they could be. And it, at that time in my life, I was all about uh, Big Barossa and Shiraz. Mm. Um, and it opened up my eyes to two other things. And it's like, well, it could be the same too if you're into big, bold IPAs or um, whatever. Sometimes that right moment comes along where you where you see the beauty in something that's so small and simple and delicate. Um, and and then sometimes it place. just takes one line in a movie, like, I'm not drinking Merlot, or if anyone orders Merlot, I'm leaving. And uh, yeah. it, it becomes unfashionable. Yes, yeah, ab- absolutely. But um, I think we, we, are, we slowly are seeing um, people pay attention to, to Good Pills now, which is, is um, fantastic. Um, I love that. Watching down in, in Melbourne, um, seeing people talking about uh, about lager styles um, and so forth. Going to a um, Westside Ale Works and seeing four Czech pilsners on tap was um, was was very cool. Um, being then at at uh, Cowan Cellars and drinking a heap of um, Jester King and and um, other wild beers with with uh, people there, but people then still talking about simple and elegant lagers uh, along the same you know along the same lines as they were talking about uh, these you know. Very out there, very funky beers was 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 pretty cool to see. Just for anyone that 
you know, is wondering what the hell are they talking about? You know, beer and food, you know, is still around. You know, we've had good beer week. We've had beer and food matching. Just send us off um, in this episode with two beer and food matches that will change your world. It depends, like, I need to speak to you about your palate mm. in order to get that match there and um, try to work out where your palate's at because we could have the same dish and I could recommend different beers for two different people, three, four, five different people. We might even recommend recommending the same style but a different beer because I'm not – I don't like painting with as broad a stroke as just the style too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hate just doing it down to that there because you can have two IPAs and they can be so different to each yeah. other. Um, and uh, you can say, well, this IPA goes great with that. Oh, we don't have this IPA, but we'll we'll just substitute over here. It's like, no, that's <laughs> freaking different beer. It's, okay, it's, now you're making it too hard <laughs> yeah. because people like simple and, you know, you don't want to have to chase around looking for the exact right you know, wine with the right oysters from the right bay, and you know, that sort of thing. So what are just some uni- – there, is there such a thing in your world as a universal match? Because, again, I would say that a um, a wee heavy, like a, a peated wee heavy ale um, with a little bit of, you know, the the, 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 the peat and a blue cheese. And, and that, Well, that was with particular blue cheese, that one. That was with Rockford. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're talking um, cave-aged, used milk blue mm. cheese um, that's unpasteurised um, and it does have really certain uh, uh, wildness to it that really matched in with that um, uh, uh, those phenolics that we're getting from the, the peat-smoked mm. malt um, in there. But look, yeah, okay, if you want some generic, you know, look, um, Saison and everything. No, just yeah. joking. <laughs> Saison and blue cheese. Um, with a good blue cheese was a surprising match for me and it was... Well, that can be a big one because Saison can be quite open and, and, and flowing and what you can do in that style there. But if you want to look at it like a lighter um, and Saison, so I'm meaning one here that's not too too rich in its malt, so it is, is taking really a pale path and is really quite dry, um, really quite hoppy um, too because Saison is a style that can and generally should be um, reasonably assertively hopped. Um, put along that alongside some... Um, a Thai dish, um, one where you've got a heap of lemongrass in it, um, a fair bit of, you know, um, chilli alongside it there and a fair bit of green matter um, in there, sort of like Thai-style salads. Mm-hmm. can be really good there. Uh, you could go down some classics, you know, uh, really dry stout and oysters um, are, are fantastic um, together too and it's something that's very accessible. Anyone yep. can go and buy Guinness and buy some nice big um, Get Pacific oysters for that. There, so we've also really done creamy. Cooper's Best Extra Stout and oysters, and that's worked, which is a richer export that is, style. Yeah, yeah. And with uh, with Cooper's Best Extra Stout, mm. I'd go um, for um, rock oysters. Okay, with those instead of oh, Pacific. So, so, so oysters aren't oysters in your world. Oysters aren't oysters. Okay. Oh, <laughs> we need to talk about oysters sometimes. Yeah, yeah. This is oyster talk back with the. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. Um, it, you know, I, I like to get quite that specific to it, which was why it was then easier when I was like at the cow and I had a massive amount of beer at my disposal yeah. and I curated that beer so I could get whatever the hell I wanted. You know, I, I could be quite specific about the matches and when you talk, you start to talk general and general in, in, the, in the beer and then general in the dish, it's like, oh, this I'm can, starting to this think I've gotten really lazy since we were doing lunches together because it, 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 there is so little beer and food matching done these days that I really try and just make it as broad brush. They're the complete opposite um, to, to you these days because whereas we once thought 
we're going to enter a world where everything is beer and food match. We're going to have menus to match wine menus, and there's going to be pairing suggestions on every restaurant. It just hasn't happened. Well, you look, if we go back to that first one I was talking there, the Saison, um, if we got um, – I got some Saison from Matic um, – uh, New Year's, I think it was, yep. um, and their one was um, still a driest finish, but sort of a richer mouthfeel, and it was um, quite heavily spiced. Mm. Um, now, if we put that saison, and then we got uh, Dupont Biologique, um, which is probably my favourite, or um, Hennepin by Omegang. Two, you know, we're we're talking two way different cans, so they're both lovely. You know, both ways a lovely way to have a, a saison, and then we could make that um, that Thai dish. Two totally different ways, and then we'd have an infinite number of combinations that could be, and some of them could be great, and some of them could be terrible. So that's why I don't like doing the broad brush too much. The easiest one with broad brush is oysters and dry stout. Well, I always give myself a really safe exit um, or a safety net to work with in, in my broad brush. I just sort of say, look, you know, you're going to learn more from a bad match than from a good match. Um, because a good match you just enjoy. A bad match actually holds elements of the beer or the food out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's when you know you've really got a good match when it's just seamlessly working yep. together and where it doesn't become a focal point that you're trying to match these things and mm. it just all works together and then the conversation flows yep. on the on the table. But if anyone wants me to come and match from all our dinners <laughs> for well, them. And, and we need to do, uh, we've been talking about it for years, we we missed our 10-year anniversary dinner and I think we've missed our 15-year anniversary. We've missed our 15 by quite some time. <laughs> yeah, so we'd, we'll do the 17-and-a-half-year anniversary sort of a, a little bit obscurely. But uh, you've been listening to Matt and Ian just talk. Um, it's not even, I'm not even going to call it Bruise News Week uh, this week. Well, we've, we've gone to, into Ramble. Can I also just put a shout-out to, to, to Hoppy Pete? Uh, that I met down in Melbourne wearing his uh, Death to All Neepers jacket and <laughs> and his hat that said, make beer clear again. Thanks, you provided us with um, some great great fun on the, on down at Carl and Cellars. Oh, there you go. So, Hoppy Pete, uh, shout out. Hopefully, you're a listener. Do you know if he listens? Uh, I don't, know. You don't? Yeah. Anyone who's anyone listens. Oh, so. he'd he, he listen. Yeah. Someone, someone will bring <laughs> it to his attention. And that wraps up another week of Sort of News and a lot of talk about beer and food. Your hosts have been myself, Matt Kirkegaard, and my good friend, Ian, the beer misfit, Watson. Uh, beer misfit, because your favourite band was Misfits? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ian Watson, well, that, that's your social media handle, anyone that wants to follow no, you? No, it's actually Watson the Brewer. Hasn't oh, Watson been, the hasn't Brewer. Hasn't been beer misfit for ages. Hasn't it? Oh, yeah, okay, that's Watson it. The there you go. What good friend I am. Um, the show is produced by <laughs> Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Cry Malt, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scarf Fabricating, NZ Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode. Thank you all to listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out without a boom. Boom. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll, you'll get into trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs>